We want to continue to celebrate our successes here at the church. And as most of you or many of you were here last Sunday evening, we had, I guess I can announce this, we had runaway sheep. We had busy angels and shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph and the innkeepers. And we tried to keep them all straight, but just, uh, just impossible. But it was a great presentation by the children of the church, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's just good, so good to see what is being done with not only the children in the church, but with the youth. As Christy announced from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., I got tired being as old as I am just hearing that announced, you know. <laughs> wow. So I'm sure they'll, they'll have a great time. Also, when you give your money, I want you to know it goes to many places. God really helps us. As you know, we have, we have uh, about 13 churches in Central America and Nicaragua, and they're alive and well and uh, just doing some great things there in Central America. Also in, in India, uh, a lot of good things are happening in Vijuwada and Hyderabad. And here's a report I'd like to give to you, and I appreciate uh, Brother Dan and all the, his work with the, certainly with the missionaries. Maranatha Charity is headed by Viswa Prasad Allure, that's his name, has done a free mega medical camp on Sunday, the ninth in our building and a nearby school campus at Vijuada with leading cardiologists in the city um, and his colleagues and nearly 10 doctors in our central church. And there were over 1,000 people that were treated by uh, specialists such as pulmonologists, uh, orthopedic surgeons, dental doctors, and physicians. Free medicines were also distributed. It was a great day for the Lord. Glory to God. And thank you because you have invested in that ministry for many, many years. I have had the privilege of being there and seeing a big sign over one of the large rooms there in that uh, campus saying Bethel Christian Center. Why? Because you love God and you give as given unto the Lord. Let's thank God for what he's doing in, in these countries. It is certainly good to have all of you with us today. It's good to have all of our guests and visitors. I think uh, some are from Georgia, is that right? And uh, it's so good to have you. Also, the Savaris family and uh, Brother Andrew flew all the way from England just to hear me preach this morning. So I am not going to disappoint him. No, he's there studying at uh, his PhD at Oxford. Wow. And I spoke to him in the hall, and he doesn't have that accent that they have over there. He still has that southern accent, but it's so good to have John in the family. Would you praise God for them today? Amen. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure you get one. I want you to have one because uh, I just simply believe that God has spoken to us today concerning this sermon. In fact... There, it may be a takeoff of what the theme will be in 2019 for Bethel. But uh, we want everyone to have one. 
if you will, sort of fold it up and after we finish with it uh, and put it in your Bibles because we will probably be referring back to this several times. And um, we have many miracles in the service today. There are a lot of miracles in the service. One recent miracle is sitting on the second row in the middle, and his name is Bobby Williams. Bobby, it is it just a Would you stand there? It is a miracle that God has performed on this man. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Bobby. Amen. <laughs> God is good, isn't he? He knows not only how to touch us spiritually, he knows how to touch us physically and to help us to certainly recover. Isaiah chapter 52. And we also have someone that's from here in the service. Is that right? Are you, is, is, is he still in the service? Yes. Would you stand and tell us your name and what branch you're in? Come on, help me out. Brian, God bless your heart. God bless you. It's so good to see you with us today. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices, and with their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy and sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Verse 10, I love this verse. Listen, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her and be clean. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out with haste nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and may his hand rest upon each and every ear as we listen. As you notice, go tell it on the mountain. It is a tribute to the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Who wrote it or who encouraged it through the years? John Wesley Work Jr. He can be credited for the fact that we still sing Go Tell It on the Mountain every Christmas. Although he may not have originally created the Negro spiritual. Work grew up in Nashville loving music as a son of a church choir director. Even though he earned his master's in Latin and went on to teach ancient Latin and Greek. His love, first love, continued to be music, 
and he went on to become the first African-American collector of Negro spirituals. Go tell it on the mountain, and we proclaim it as we go forth today. I remember when I was nine years old in a little town in Sampson County, I knelt down at the altar one night, and I gave my heart to Jesus. I was so thrilled. We'd been going to church, a certain church there in the community, but we went all the way to Clinton, which was about seven miles, and a little old church called Butler Hill. And I was so excited about receiving Christ, I rushed back to granddaddy's and grandmother's store. They had a store there in the community in the road from Clinton to Faison, and they lived upstairs in what was called Pine Ridge Service Station. And I ran into the store, and I ran up the stairs, and I had to tell everybody that I had met Jesus Christ. I want you to know it's still a thrill today to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And it should be a thrill for all of us. And what the writer is saying here, one of the greatest writers ever, was Isaiah. What the writer is saying here for you and I, and for each one to go out, climb the highest hill, and tell everyone that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this writing was written back when it was about time for Israel to leave Babylon. As most of you know, that they've been serving as as uh, people in bondage to the Babylonian people and Nebuchadnezzar and the leaders. And God was about after 70 years to free them. If you read Isaiah, and I would encourage you this year of 2000, the upcoming year of 2019, to read and study this great book written by one of the greatest writers that ever lived. As you read Isaiah, you find from chapter 1 to 39, Judgment. And Isaiah and God speaking to the children of Israel because of their rebellion and because of their sin. And he's challenging them and telling them the judgment that's coming upon the nation of Israel because of their rebellion. But then there's a transition in chapter 40. As you begin to read chapter 40, he's now telling of restoration. A time when Israel will be restored. A time when they will come out of bondage. And they will go back to the homeland of Israel, back to Jerusalem, and be a people again. And so that's what this verse, chapter 52, is all about. And notice, as we look at the outline that you have with you today, the story behind the Christmas hymn, Go Tell It on the Mountain, this passage refers to the liberty of the captive Jews, the restoration of Zion. The vision is of the feet of the one who runs from the scene of battle across the mountains to the city, waiting for news. We find this in 2 Samuel. It's a powerful reading. Most of us know the story how David, as king, was run out of his own country by his own son, Absalom. And he was a fugitive away from the throne of Jerusalem. And Absalom and his team had taken over. But God restored David back. And there was a great battle. And so David sent out the watchmen, the runners. 
And uh, they would run and bring back the information, bring back the news. And the men on the wall would see men and as they were running and they could tell who they were by the way they were running. And they would say, this is so-and-so coming. And David would say, if this one's coming, there's good news. Or so-and-so, someone else is coming. And David would say, well, if this one's coming, it's bad news. What it was, even though Absalom had turned against his own father, David loved his son dearly. And finally, the runner came and told the watchman that, that Absalom had been killed. And David began to mourn, and he began to mourn, and he mourned, and he mourned. Well, this is what Second Samuel chapter 18 and verse 26. The imagery is a besieged city waiting for word that is, its hero had defeated the enemy armies. And that's what the church is. It's standing, sitting on the wall, reminding people today that the enemy... Your and my and God and the kingdom's enemy has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. And we need to hear the runners, the preachers, the teachers, the apostles, the evangelists. We need to hear them saying the enemy has been defeated. Victory has been won. We have been restored back to our relationship with God. And then we find in that Paul quotes this verse in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 with direct reference to the preaching of the gospel. We find it in Romans chapter 13. It says, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then verse 15 we find, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and here's where he quotes Isaiah 52, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good news. That's what the angels heralded on to the, to the shepherds on the hillside, good tidings of great things. For this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Good tidings that Jesus Christ has come. Notice with me with your notes, first of all, the messenger. The absolute need for a messenger. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 13. We need some people that are called. We need some men and women that will stand not only in the pulpits, but the pulpits across America, their houses, their homes, the shopping malls, places of business. And when, they go, when God opens the door, that they'll proclaim this great good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer is assigned a personal pulpit. Look over at your neighbor. Just look at them. You don't have to say anything to them. They, that person has been signed. If they are a believer, have been assigned a personal pulpit, either in the home, in the community, at the office, 
Oh yes, young man, young lady. Or at school from which to show and tell others this good news. Not just around Christmas time. But every day of the week. We need to tell this great news. First of all, you have the messenger. Then you have the magnitude of the messenger. Go to the high mountains. Lift up your voice with strength. Be not afraid. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9 says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with what? Strength. Don't go whispering around. Don't go cow down to the devil. Don't be afraid. Don't run with timidity, but say, listen well. There is a Savior. There is a Deliverer, and He's alive today. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judea, behold your God. Let them clamor. For PC, politically correct statements. We can still, as Brother Denny said this morning, say in this church and say in our homes and say in our, in our midst, Merry Christmas. Hallelujah. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And certainly don't be ashamed, certainly, to tell it. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1. In this 58th chapter, it's speaking of fasting. In fact, this whole chapter, Brother Dan, is about fasting. It's about fasting. And as Christy was saying, this church is going to begin a 40-day fast. You say, you're going to fast a whole 40 days? Yeah, but each person chooses what fast they want to fast. You can fast one meal a day. You can fast one day a week. You can fast one meal a week. You can do whatever you feel like. You can, you can do the Daniel fast. Do whatever God calls you to do, but cooperate and fast and pray. And listen to what Isaiah 50 and 1 says. It says, cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. We don't want to hear that anymore. It's offensive to us. Don't tell me about where I'm wrong. Don't say that I'm a sinner because I will sit with my arms folded and say this why we all are sinners. That's what they say. But the Bible does not want us to operate with timidity. Our message needs to be given with, with a courage and a force that is worthy. We ought to get up every day believing God that God's going to open a door for us to tell about Jesus Christ. And us not be ashamed of it. And us to be strong and fervent. The early church there's a word that's used several times in the book of Acts. Boldness. The early church was bold when it come to telling about Jesus Christ. Let us be bold. Number three, the message of the messenger. It doesn't say how lovely are the messengers. Huh. Are you listening? But how beautiful are the feet. Not what they are in themselves, but the message they bring. And when you study this 52nd chapter of the book of Isaiah, you find, first of all, the message of peace. 
If there ever was a time that America needs peace, it's today. From the White House to your and my house, to the Congressional House, to, to uh, the State House. I mean, this nation needs peace. Have you ever seen a, this nation in the turmoil that it's in today? Think about it. He said, I don't want to think about it. Well, we should. We should realize that only God can help us when it comes to bringing peace. The peace and what he gives, it's not just a, a natural peace, but a spiritual peace. Where there's peace in the heart. Where there's nothing like it. When the doctors have told you bad news, there's still peace in the heart. When your son and your daughter's not doing exactly like you think they should do, God gives you peace. When your neighbor, co-worker, your husband, your wife, your family has disappointed you and you want to hang your head, God will give you peace. And you can square your shoulders and say, I know that God has given me peace beyond myself. It's not only a message of peace, it's a message of salvation. I encourage you to do something. It's really, really interesting. And I hope you have a study Bible. If not, just go online. Take the word salvation. Just Google it and see what it means. It covers areas after areas. There is so much powerful meaning to that word salvation. Not just being born again and we're going to go to heaven. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Telling about your and my relationship with God. Your and my deliverance. It's a message of peace. It's a message of salvation. Isn't it a message of redemption? You and I have been brought back. We have been redeemed. Amen? Let me say that again. We have been redeemed. One more time. We have been redeemed. Oh, we got some ameners here. You know, we used to have amen corners. Did you know that? In a certain place right here over in the corner, these were the amen people. They would amen the preacher. Listen, not only have we been given peace and salvation and redemption, we have been given joy. I don't know what kind of gifts you're going to get this Christmas. I don't know what you've already gotten. But you will not be given a greater gift. And the, you and I are the messengers. And we give gifts every day. A word of love. A word of encouragement. A word of joy. A word of peace. Just simply speaking into the hearts of people. But the gift that was given the first Christmas was the greatest gift in the world. The greatest gift ever. God wants to give you peace. And God wants to give you joy. Look at it. Not only a message of peace and salvation and redemption and joy, but a message of victory. Listen at me for just a moment. The children of Israel had been in bondage for 70 years. They had struggled. They felt that God had forsaken them. They felt like Jehovah, their God, had abandoned them and left them to nothing. But here comes this great prophet and said, wait a minute. I've got good news for you. Your God has not forsaken you. Your God is alive and well. 
But not only is your God alive and well, but the Lord. Look at verse 10. Can you bring verse 10 back up, uh, Tammy? The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now what does it mean that he made bare his arm? Well, back then they wore sort of all kind of garments that, that reached around and, and came across the arm when they got ready to fight. When they got serious with the opposition to defeat the enemy, they would take and throw that off their arm and their arm was laid bare so they could uh, use their sword and their spear and their bows and arrows. In our, in our thinking, what it really means is God has rolled up its sleeve. <laughs> you got a problem? You think God is serious about your problem? He'll roll up his sleeves for you. And that real, that, 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 that really says here, the, the, listen, Isaiah came to assure them that God had not forsaken them, but God would exert his mighty power on their behalf. Am I afraid the witness to the world Am I afraid of the devil? Am I afraid of witchcraft, which is on the rise? Read an article the other day how much witchcraft is on the rise and how much Christianity is declining. And the church can close the doors and meet secretly in its pews on Sunday morning, or the church can throw the doors open. So let's go out, guys. We're going to go whip the devil. Let's roll up some sleeves. Let's get serious about it. Here's what the original says. Here's what it says. The Lord has made bare his holy arm. He has revealed his power. Let that sink in. I think, I believe that it's time for God Almighty to reveal his power. Power. I think it's time for God to roll up his sleeves. I think it's time for the church to stand up with the same power that the early church had in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the book of Acts. And the only way we'll have that power is to be anointed and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about, preacher? It's just as biblical today as it was the day it was written and the day it happened. It's time for us to stop being so timid and realize what we have behind us. Did you know what it said here? You know what it said here? It says, depart, depart, go out from there. He's saying, go out from Babylon. Get out of that place. And God miraculously, listen, if you've studied it, God miraculously delivered them from Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the great, great leader that everybody was afraid of, 
God struck him with, 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 with a, a way of believing that he was an animal. He went out for several years and eat grass like an animal. And his claws grew, his hair grew, and he thought he was an animal. God knows how to defeat the enemy. He says here, Listen, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. What they had done, they'd stolen the vessels from the temple and take them then into Babylon and use and desecrated those vessels. And God said, listen at me, my people, listen, you need to, you need to be clean. Maybe the church needs to be clean. Maybe the church needs to be sanctified. Maybe the church needs to clean up its act and let the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of God and the grace of God change our lives. He said, you priest that's going to lead, lead the uh, Israelites out, you need to clean up to carry those vessels. And so if the church wants to be effective, it needs to clean up its act. Amen. He says, I want you to be clean. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of them. Be clean. you who bear. For you shall go out. I'm sorry. For, verse 12. For you shall not go out with haste. How did they go out of Egypt? You remember that story? How millions of the Israelites were bound in Egypt. And God set them free. And he said, don't waste no time. I want you to hurry. Most of you remember how the firstborn of the Egyptians were killed and the sacrifices put over the door. And then God says, get out of here. Let's go, make haste. God said to the people there in, uh, in Babylon, he said, don't worry about it. Take your time. Be at ease. Understand serenity. Understand peace. Let me handle it. He says here, For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you. Hallelujah. I see the year of 2019 as a year that God Almighty Jehovah, the creator of all things, and Jesus Christ and the third person of the Godhead going before the church and the church doing some things that like it hasn't done in a long time. That's a good place to clap your hands right there. Hallelujah. But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He said, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Not only is he going before you. I'm talking to people. In fact, I heard someone say the other day that's bound and hooked on drugs. They wouldn't come to the Lord. You know why? Because they were afraid they couldn't live it. And a lot of people don't get saved because they know they have things in their lives that they can't get rid of. No, you can't, but God can help you get rid of it. And when God sets you free, you don't have to keep glancing behind you to see if it's going to overtake you. If you've been delivered of drugs, God's going to take care of the drugs behind you. They're not going to catch up with you. If you've been delivered of alcohol, God's going to take care of the alcohol. If you've been delivered of adultery, God's going to take care. Anything, any bondage, any sin, anything that would destroy you, God says, hold it. He's mine. She's mine. Leave them alone. 
He said, but I've tried, Brother Don. I've tried to serve God and I go right back to the things I went to. Let me, let me challenge you today. Go before God. Surrender your life before Him. Repent of your sins. Lay those things on the altar. Be filled. You see, if you get empty, you need to be filled with something. The Bible talks about when that vessel is empty, if you don't get filled with God, the devil's going to come back with drugs. The devil's going to come back with, all, with lying and stealing and, and all kind of evil and all kind of sin. But if you're in the, if you're in the Lord, before the Lord with the saints of God, if you'll tarry like, tarry like the early church did and you'll wait on the Lord, the Holy Ghost will come and he'll swoop into your life and fill you up and the devil has no room and no space to get in. We should have been turning somersaults for that. I'll tell you what, I believe this. I believe that God wants to touch the church like it has not been touched in a long time. Not only is he your front, goes before you, clears the way. Take your time. Study the word. Learn it. Know it. Live it. Digest it. Allow the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians, Paul said to the church at Ephesus. That meant over and over and over again. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Has God baptized you? He said, what is all this baptized stuff? That simply means when you're saved, there's, there's something else that goes along with it. He said, I don't, I don't know about that, Pastor. I thought you got saved and that was it. No, there's something that goes along with it. Something that goes along with it. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, is that scriptural? Yes, just like John 3.16 is. Read it, study it, live it. Allow the Holy Spirit to come in and fill you. Then there's no room for profanity. Then there's, then there's no room for jealousy and hate and evil. Let God fill you. You say, Pre preacher, is that possible in 2018? Yes. He's just as real today as he was when the apostle Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. We ought to have to bring out chairs to set people in this building. Are you listening? Do you know how many chairs we can set along the walls of this church? Look at the wall. You see all these walls starting here, this column here. You see this column? If you started this column, you don't have to sit behind anything you can't see. If you started this column and you go all around and get to this column over here, you know how many chairs will sit in there? 65. 65 chairs. And we've got them here on the, on the campus to put back there. You know why we left so much space up here? So we could dance and shout and pray and sing. You know how many chairs you can sit up here? At least one, two rows really. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. You can sit 80 people right up here. 65 and 80 is what? What? I ain't hearing you. That's a lot of people. That's not counting the people that say it's 350 people that can sit in the pews. You know how many people can sit on this platform counting the choir and the space? You know how many people can sit up here? 50 people. 
We've got plenty of room to sit on and to seat on. And every pew and every space. Then you've got the, that's five foot aisle right there. Most churches have four feet aisles. I like it. You can put a chair on each side of the pew. One, two, three, four, five, six, nine pews. So let's say 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. There's another 60. Bring them. We'll put them in here. Go out. Go out and tell people about Jesus. Pray until the Holy Ghost moves them. I believe that God wants us to bring people in. Not to this, just this church, but to the kingdom. I love F.B. Meyer. Come, Brother Matt. I love F.B. Meyer. He's one of my favorite writers. He'll, uh, he'll say a few things I've already said, but listen at me. Listen. The chosen people are at the end of the 70 years captivity. The time of their deliverance from Babylon has arrived. Mr. Myers goes on to say, their almighty deliverer, capital D, their deliverer, throwing back the loose sleeve of his robe to leave his arm free makes ready for an, an unusual exercise of power. In the year of 2019, I believe there's going to be an unusual exercising of the power of God through the church. Let me say it again. I believe that the year of 2019 is going to be an unusual exercising of the power of God through the saints of God, the church of God, and God's going to do some great things. You might say, Brother Don, have you, looked at, have you listened to the news lately? Have you seen what's happening in Washington? Have you seen what's happening in, in entertainment? Have you seen what's happening in, in, in Hollywood? Yes, I know all about it. But the devil can't do nothing when the power of God begins to operate and function. And how is the power of God going to operate and function? Through each and every one of us. It's you and I. God's not going to come down and do it himself. F.B. Myers goes on to say, they're almighty liver throwing back those sleeves of his the sleeve of his, to leave his arm free. Makes ready for an unusual exercise of power. There will be no need of haste as when the people fled at night from Egypt. They may not go out with haste nor go by flight for their divine leader would precede them and his escort would be their rear guard. Now I love this following. Follow what he says. This is a summons to us all who may have been captivated by the Babylons in any form. We are to arise and depart, shaking loose the bonds of our captivity. Let us follow the cloudy pillar of God's presence, guiding us continually. And let us not be always looking behind as though dreading the reassurance of past sins and mistakes. They shall not pursue those whom God has delivered. Or if they do, he goes on to say, they shall not overtake. Don't be afraid when you come to God that that old past is always going to knock you down. God's going to set you free. It is an unspeakable comfort to those who have sinned to know 
that the old temptations and forms of bondage are intercepted by the presence of the eternal God. Just as his cloud intercepted Pharaoh's host. Do you remember that? When Moses and those three million Israelites crossed the Red Sea, God caused that water to congeal on each side and enough space was made that all the horses and all the animals that was carrying everything they needed and three million people went through there. And when they got through, Pharaoh says, hey, we're going to go get those folks and bring them back. So he starts out. Did you ever see the Ten Commandments? Did you ever see Moses? I don't know how it was, but I sort of think it was like that. Then Pharaoh and all of his soldiers and all his chariots started down through the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, God <coughs> lifted his hand. I'm sorry. God lifted his hand. And those waters drowned them. That's what the God does for those things that's been bothering you. Those sins that's held you captive. I want you to listen as they sing. And then we'll end with a prayer. Christmas is a busy time. The bright lights, the bells are ringing. People are clamoring and busy and buying this and buying that. The shopping malls are full. And I wonder sometimes when you see all the activity that goes on, and I wonder, do people really stop and give any thought about the real reason for Christmas? the real reason of Christmas. Yes, there was a baby. A real baby. He was born and laid in a cow trough. He didn't have kings and queens and the elite coming to visit with him. The millionaires and the billionaires. He did later on, about two years later. But when he was born, he had outcast shepherds. No doubt they were smelly. Shepherds, some of them were not even allowed to go in the cities. Shepherds, many of them used all kind of language you wouldn't want your children to hear. Shepherds were not thought very much of. But the angel appeared to those not thought very much of shepherds and spoke the good news. And they said, now let us go. And they went. Herod operated in fear. Herod operated in murder. The shepherds operated in faith. And I know we're going to be busy this, this holiday. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this morning as we stand or sit in the presence of God, let's take a few moments to be quiet. Just listen to the music. 
Let's take a few moments to reflect on this first Christmas. Although he's not a baby anymore, although he lived and died and rose again, and he's alive forevermore. Let's reflect on these moments. But Brother Don, I've got to hurry up and be first in the line at the cafeteria. It's okay. God spoke to Israel and said, don't go out in haste. Just take your time. Because I'm going to go before you. And if you know Christ this morning, when you drive your car out of this parking lot, understand that God Almighty is going before you. But not only that, He's your rear guard. He's got your back. <laughs> I'm glad that God's got my back. Take just a few moments and let, please, let God speak to you. Don't be so calloused and so distant from God that at least through His Spirit in some way, in some measure, allow Him to whisper to your heart. Forget about tomorrow. Forget about what you've got to do next week and all the busy times. Forget about buying presents. Forget about what someone said, didn't say. Forget about pleasing someone. Forget about not, not necessarily setting boundaries and you're too busy and you get upset because you let people pressure you. Forget about all of that. And think for just a moment. Think for just a moment. If Jesus Christ would come right now, and he's coming. That's not some far-fetched idea. That's reality. There were many prophecies concerning him coming the first time. Every one of them were fulfilled, even to the birth of Jesus. Do you know it took, there were 700 years of before the birth of Jesus, there was a prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem. They didn't live in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth. The chances of this baby being born in lowly Bethlehem, which meant house of bread. The chances of that decree going out and they being in Bethlehem was so remote, it would have millions of times that it would not happen. And then at the birth that been a week or two, month or two after, they'd gone back to Nazareth. But 700 years of prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem came to pass. Don't you know with 50 some prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus, if all of those came to pass, you know the chances of those prophecies coming to pass? Can I, can I tell you the chances of those prophecies coming to pass? You ever been to Texas? That's a big big state 
You could take silver dollars and stack silver dollars a foot high. Listen at me. Don't let me lose you. Silver dollars a foot high all over the state of Texas. Take one silver dollar and color it. Put it anywhere in the state of Texas you want to. Stir up all of those silver dollars. Blindfold a man or a woman at the Texas state line. Start them walking. The chances of them picking up that one colored silver dollar is just as real and true as 50 of those prophecies coming about Jesus Christ coming the first time. Don't you know the God that promised that? And that's promised he's coming again and you don't think it's going to happen? Oh, it's going to happen, folks. If he'd come right now or perhaps if you would die this week. Oh, what a morbid thought. But listen, that's reality. I don't care your age. Would you be ready? Father, I thank you because you're speaking to us right now. I thank you because you're revealing your Holy Spirit to us. Whether it's through the conscience. Whether it's through your Holy Spirit whispering in an ear, not audibly. Or whether it's just a person realizing they need to bow at the cross. They need to kneel in an altar. They need to kneel in their house. They need to kneel their heart before you. God, speak to them. I know you're a gentleman, Holy Spirit. You force no one. You force no one. Now, as you're thinking, I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit's here. The same power that led the children of Israel out of bondage, that same power is here today. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to hush in just a moment. Sister Carol, I don't know when I've felt the Spirit of God dealing like I have this morning. Brother Don, do I have to go up the altar? Don't, don't make me go up the altar. I want you to do something to say that I need you, Lord. It's time that we put forth an effort to tell him, God, I need you. And I'm going to tell you, this is the most important thing in the world. Buying a house is important. Buying a car is important. Having a child is important. All of these things, weddings are important. But there's nothing that's as important as this decision that we make for Jesus Christ. Now, Father, look, look at our hearts. I pray for every man, every woman, every young person. I pray, God, that you would speak to hearts. If there's one man, one woman, one young person today that does not know you, maybe they've once known you, but they're away from you, I pray that you would speak to their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And may, may they say an eternal yes to the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand one more time. Sing Amazing Grace. I'm going to be down here if you want to pray. This is your opportunity.